Welcome back to Murder on Sex Island. Written and read by me, Joe Firestone. This is episode 7, where I'll be reading chapters 23 through 27. If you just listened to episode 6, feel free to skip ahead. If you need a refresher, here's what happened in the last few chapters. Luella woke up in Issa's apartment after passing out outside of George Stryker's door. She learned she could use her key fob to get into any apartment in the building, and that George had been texting both Ethan and the producer Stephanie Hilson. In David G.'s old apartment, Luella found his toothbrush was wet, which meant someone else had been in there. Luella received a second little black card, this time asking her about Staten Island. And it turned out, that's exactly where this new wildcard contestant was from. Chapter 23 They occasionally did this thing on Sex Island called Women's Choice Wednesday, where the female contestants chose a sex partner first thing in the morning. By that evening, the women had to decide whether they would stay with that sex partner or move on. This usually happened on a Wednesday when the men outnumbered the women. The men who weren't selected in the morning only got to stay on the show if a woman decided to move on from the sex partner she initially chose. If everyone opted to stay with the men they'd first picked, that morning's rejects went home forfeiting the $100,000 prize. I've seen the most confident, symmetrical faces crumble in those moments. It's almost heartbreaking, but then you remember that you've been totally complicit for watching it, and the rejects would likely get a generous brand sponsorship after this was all over. Issa brought me to my trailer. This time, I ordered the protein waffles. I didn't know you knew about the protein waffles, she said with a smile, jotting something down on her clipboard. I hear things, I said. She nodded conspiratorially. I couldn't tell if we were still talking about the waffles. She left me to change into my wardrobe, which I was relieved to see was a full-length maxi dress. I couldn't believe my eyes. What had I done to deserve so much fabric? I tried it on. The front was loose and, dare I say, flattering. But then I felt a light breeze behind me. I turned around, and there... Out in the open was my wide, flat ass. The dress stopped at my lower back. Was this a cruel trick? Was this fashion? Who would make a dress that exposed the entire ass? Then I saw, also on the hanger, hung a rhinestoned G-string thong. I was to wear the G-string with the dress, for rhinestoned modesty. I decided then and there that even if I found the killer, I would still do everything in my power to send the wardrobe ladies to jail. An hour later, the entire cast was brought to the Cuddle Puddle. If you've never seen the show, the Cuddle Puddle is basically a pile of home goods throw pillows where the cast members go to lose their self-esteem. It's usually surrounded by lit tiki torches even though the show is mostly filmed in broad daylight. The idea is to basically lock eyes with someone on the Cuddle Puddle, then walk hand in hand to your cabana to consummate what started on the Cuddle Puddle. Cuddle Puddle, Women's Choice Wednesdays, I know it's a lot, but these producers had to broadcast an hour-long reality show every night. Even the bad ideas made it to air. We were all placed in a circle and propped up on the home goods cushions. It was wild to see how even the stars of these shows were basically treated like set pieces with a pulse. A production assistant sat me between Blair and Sarah directly across from Phil. 
Phil smiled at me, and I managed to smile back. I still felt a lingering awkwardness from our ear kiss, and I wondered if he did too. Between David and Nate were two empty cushions. I assumed these were designated for the new guys. Once we were situated, George Stryker waltzed onto set. I felt my blood boil. This morning he was wearing an actual t-shirt, but it had fashion rips in it, exposing not one but both of his nipples. It was a shirt seemingly designed to punish the people around him. He walked around the cuddle puddle assessing camera angles and slightly tripped on a cushion, which brought me more joy than I anticipated. He addressed the cast. All right, children, we're going to meet two new hunky hunks today, so be on your best or naughtiest behavior. Sarah smiled at Blair. David N. noticed, and at that moment he looked like a birthday boy with a popped balloon. By then, he'd been paired with Sarah for at least eight episodes. George continued, It's Women's Choice Wednesday, so once we meet the two new boys, our girlies will pick their partners and off you'll go. The way he kept referring to us as children and boys and girls, something was very wrong with this man. He called action, then scurried off to the shaded video village where he sat with the producers watching the proceedings. In his absence, Issa stayed on set, yelling out instructions she received through her earpiece. Sarah, look to David N. And Blair, lick your lips and look at Nate. Okay, Blair, we had a camera issue. Please lick your lips again. Tasha, wave to Ethan. Hold. Ethan, blow a kiss to Luella. And Luella, look to Phil. I looked to Phil, and he was earnestly looking back at me. I guess that meant Stryker and the producers wanted me to choose Phil. Copy that. Then the new guys were trotted in like two prized horses in a big parade. The first guy to walk out was tall and muscular with short, curly hair. I overheard him introduce himself to camera. My name's Justin. I'm 20 years old and I'm a model slash actor slash model consultant. A model consultant? Sounded like a legitimate stream of income to me. The second guy to walk out was more compact. I couldn't make out his face since he was talking to a camera across from me. He looked to be about 5'8", which was short for the show, and he wore a flat-brimmed New York Jets hat. He wore two gold chains, he was shirtless, and his back was covered in one large tattoo of an eagle mid-flight. I mean, this guy just screamed Staten Island. He turned to face the cuddle puddle, and I was shocked to recognize him. Baby A.J., I'm sure he didn't go by baby anymore, but he did back when I knew him. He was my best friend Lauren's younger cousin. I practically grew up with this kid. I could not believe he was here. Lauren was the only friend I'd told about Luella, and long story short, she didn't take it well. She thought I was making a huge mistake with my life. We hadn't spoken in years. Seeing AJ now, I remembered how we used to take turns pushing him down Lauren's stairs in a laundry basket, how he'd giggle and scream. He was such a funny little kid. That was all over a decade ago. Issa spoke again. Luella, your jaw is open in a weird way. The producers are asking if you can close your jaw. I closed my jaw. AJ looked at me then, and I watched in real time as he put the pieces together. Here was his cousin's friend Marie, wearing a blonde wig and fake teeth. I know I said no one's ever realized Marie and Luella are the same person, but I guess that excludes people who have known me since childhood. He gave me a tentative wave. I waved back. Hannah, the makeup lady, sidled over to me and whispered in my ear, 
Honey, you're bright red. Mind if I powder you back to normal? I nodded while my mind raced. How could I get AJ to not blow my cover here? We don't get those rock and roll types around here too often, do we? Hannah whispered about an inch from my face. I said, go for it, babe. His booty looks like a juicy peach and I'd like to bite right into it and feel it drip down my chin. Everyone here was unapologetically inappropriate. I blamed the sun. Issa announced that it was time to pick our partners. The women took turns choosing. Sarah chose David N., who was visibly relieved, and off they went to a private cabana. Blair chose Nate. Then, to everyone's surprise, Tasha chose the new guy, Justin. Ethan punched a home goods cushion and then sulked off, kicking sand at the cameras that followed him. If I were still a licensed social worker, I might have diagnosed Ethan with intermittent explosive disorder, a condition where the angry outbursts are disproportionate to the circumstances. It's a fun one. It was time for me to choose my partner for the day. I needed to talk to AJ alone, and this was my chance. Phil would understand. I choose AJ, I said. AJ smiled, and we crawled toward each other in the cuddle puddle. Hi, I said. He hugged me. Hi, I can't believe you're here. This is so great. Come on, let's go, I said, hoping I could cut off the conversation before he called me Marie on camera. I remembered only then that I was wearing a buttless dress, and I had been crawling on my hands and knees. Knowing the producers, I would bet my life that they aimed a camera directly into my rhinestoned asshole. AJ helped me up, and it was then I saw Phil's face. He didn't look angry, per se, more just confused. I tried to make eye contact, but he kept his eyes on the ground in front of him. Sorry, Phil, I said, startling him. Phil looked up. Huh? Oh, it's fine. Have fun. He went back to looking at the same spot on the ground. AJ took my hand and we walked toward the only open cabana. I couldn't help but feel a little guilty. At the end of the night... If everyone stayed with their chosen partners, Ethan and Phil would be sent home. Chapter 24 We got to the cabana and the two cameramen positioned themselves around the bed. Today, one of them smelled like cheap marijuana. The sound guy put out his cigarette in the sand and coughed out, Sound rolling! The shorter of the two cameramen yelled, Action! AJ and I awkwardly sat next to each other on the bed. He asked if I wanted a massage, and I said sure. It would buy me some time. I needed to figure out how to tell him I was Luella Van Horn now, without also being picked up by the microphones. I turned around, and he started rubbing my shoulders. I realized from the way I was sitting, the top part of my ass was just out there, facing AJ like a friendly dog. Damn, I really hated this dress. I prayed I wouldn't fart. I cursed Beetle Bob and that wet potato I ate. AJ suddenly stopped massaging me, so I turned back around to face him, closed his eyes, and brought his lips closer to my face. I let him kiss me. His lips were lank and cold, and I could feel his stubble on my chin. There was a sibling-like quality to the kiss that made me recoil. Everything felt wrong. I couldn't kiss baby AJ. He was baby AJ. Get under the covers, I insisted. He nodded his head vigorously and dove under the sheets headfirst like a dolphin. Was he actually into this? I was appalled, hoping he was just an incredible actor. 
I lifted the top sheet and found him under there, already naked, lying on his side like a fetus. Truly ultrasound vibes. Hi, he cooed. I winced. No cooing, no cooing. I can't believe this is finally happening, he continued. You and me, AJ and Marie, at last. I need to talk to you, I said in my sternest whisper. I let out a loud fake moan and humped the air. AJ's eyes went wide. He growled and took me in his arms. I squirmed away and let out another fake moan. He traced his finger around my face. Okay, you're my babysitter and I'm- Shut up, I whispered. Will you shut up? He was batting at me like a playful cat. At that moment, I wished I would fart. Put your clothes on, I mouthed. Marie, what's wrong? Are you mad at me or something? He asked, wiggling back into his boxer briefs. Not mad, I mouthed. Marie, it's so crazy we're both here, he mouthed back. I got very close to his ear. Not Marie, Luella. He nodded his head to suggest he was starting to get it. Okay, Luella then. He winked at me and licked his lips, which meant he was not getting it at all. I need to talk to you. I was speaking so quietly into his ear I hoped he could still hear me. Just then, I was prodded twice in the back of the leg. I pulled the duvet cover down and found the sound guy tapping both of us with his boom mic. Producers say they can't hear what you two are saying. Gotta speak up. An unlit cigarette dangled precariously from his lips. Sorry about that, I yelled at a volume I hoped would hurt someone wearing headphones back in Video Village. I pulled the covers over us again and looked at AJ. I mouthed, meet me at 5 p.m., my room, 4E. For sex, he mouthed. His eyes were so earnest I wanted to die. I shook my head and rolled my eyes at the same time, my own version of multitasking. From under the covers, I heard a muffled woman's voice say, let's take five. When I pulled them down, I saw that the cameraman and sound guy were gone, and Stephanie was standing there with her hands on her hips. She didn't look happy. Hey, AJ, I'm Stephanie, one of the executive producers here. Welcome to Sex Island. Want to have a chat? She was already heading out of the cabana curtain doors before AJ was out of bed. He stood up and scrambled after her, yanking up his shorts and straightening his Jets hat as he walked. I watched as she took him arm in arm, and they made their way toward the shore together. Why on earth was AJ here? Some part of me feared he was walking directly into the spider's web. Chapter 25 Ten minutes later, Issa found me drinking an off-brand energy drink at the crafty table. She let me know the producers had given me the rest of the day off, and they suggested I use it to tan my buttocks. These people were just endlessly rude. I stopped by my trailer to grab a robe, my phone, and my key fob, then wandered back out toward the beach. It was almost lunch, and I decided it was time to pay another visit to Tasha. I really wanted to cross her off my suspect list, but first I needed to know more about what had been going on with her and David G. in the days before he died. When I got to Tasha's cabana, she and Justin were still going at it. From the sound of it, they were hopefully close to being done. I stood outside the door, digging my toes in the sand, when it occurred to me that the last time I saw AJ, he was still in middle school. I was getting the heebie-jeebies. It'd been years since Lauren and I had spoken, but I texted her anyways. 
I saw your cousin on Sex Island. She didn't respond. I immediately followed up. It's been too long. It's Murray, by the way. Still nothing. I switched tactics. So are you going to watch your cousin and me have sex on TV? Finally, I saw the three dots appear. She replied, just stay out of my life. A lesson on why some stones are best left unturned. I put my phone away just as Tasha walked out of her cabana barefoot, carrying strappy sandals over her shoulder with one hooked finger. She walked fast and I jogged to catch up to her. Tasha, I yelled. I was already out of breath. Finally, she stopped walking. What do you want? I have to pee or I'll get a UTI. I need your advice, I managed to get out between wheezes. She looked me over. Okay, come with me to the bathroom. She resumed her quick pace and I tried my best to keep in stride. The cast bathroom was located inside the lobby of a nearby air-conditioned building, used mostly for crew housing. It was surprisingly very beautiful in there. The tiled floor was ivory and lavender, and the mirrors had little flowers engraved on the glass. The three toilets were lavender, too. It was someone's job, probably Issa's, to supply the bathroom with a basket of sundries, and there on the sink was everything you could possibly need. Stain remover, mouthwash, dental floss, hairspray, hand lotion, gum. I helped myself to a piece of blotting paper, put it to my forehead, and immediately felt ill by the amount of grease I'd removed. Tasha went into the middle stall to pee. The right stall was also occupied, but I couldn't tell who it was from their legs. So what do you need my advice about? Tasha asked, audibly peeing. Breakups, I said, trying to remain casual. Uh-oh, you and Phil not doing so good? That's going to be a shit show. The toilet flushed. She walked out of the stall and stepped up to the sink. In the stall next to her, the mystery person's legs still hadn't moved. How'd you dump David G., I asked, looking at Tasha through the mirror. She looked at herself. She washed her hands, then shook them dry. Well, he was secretly sleeping with, like, a ton of people at the time, which is not allowed. That's, like, the one rule of this show. You have to be upfront. That's the only way it works. I nodded at her reflection. Who else, I asked. She rifled through the basket until she found hairspray. She popped open the small can and sprayed it all over her head. I tried not to inhale. I don't know, I feel like something was going on with Blair, and he was always on again off again with Sarah, and I swear there was something between him and George Stryker. What about Stephanie, I asked. She scrunched up her button nose. Ew, no way, she's old, that's gross. The funny thing about ageism is nobody realizes they'll be old one day too, and only if they're lucky. How'd you leave things, I asked, digging through the basket for some chapstick. We locked eyes in the mirror. She briefly cocked her head to one side before speaking. Look, we're all sad about David G., but at some point we have to move on, right? There was a hostility in her voice that hadn't been there before. What happened with you and Ethan? I asked. Bitch, you ask a lot of questions. You're really better off not knowing too much around here, she said. She turned on her heels and walked out. The door slammed behind her and the bang echoed in the tiled bathroom. I wondered what specifically set her off. Then I heard another toilet flush. The stall door swung open. Standing there was the sound guy. Chapter 26 The sound guy's face turned a bright shade of pink. 
Shit, I thought you left with the other girl. He made his way to the sink but didn't wash his hands. Instead, he picked through the basket for a pack of spearmint gum, which he pocketed. What's your name? I asked as I vigorously washed my hands, hoping I could lead by example. He didn't follow. I'm Max. You're Luella, right? He extended his filthy hand to shake mine, and I left him hanging. Okay, then. See you, princess, he said, holding up both hands as if in surrender. I followed him as he exited the building. The early afternoon sun was almost at its highest, and the humidity was thicker than usual. I would have described that Wednesday's forecast as minestrone. The ocean waves crashed hard against the shore, drowning out all other noise. I had to shout to Max to be heard. Wait, I said. He stopped and looked at me. I continued. This David G. stuff, I'm scared. I tried pouting my lips, but it didn't matter. He was very clearly staring at my breasts. Freaky, I know, he said, nodding. You must hear a lot, I said, gesturing to the headphones hanging around his neck. Well, I hear a lot more than people would like to think. He pulled out a cigarette and lit it. Like what? He took a long drag, then looked around. I got a good sense of what happened to David G. What's your sense, I asked. Why don't you tell me what you're doing here first? Took another drag. What do you mean? I started to panic. Was this the guy who'd been sending me the black envelopes? You're probably ten years older than everybody else. No offense, but you're maybe a six or a seven while all these other chicks are tens. So Max wasn't the kindest man I'd ever met, but at least I could rule out that he knew my secret identity. Maybe his no-filter approach could prove to be useful. What are you doing on this show? He asked. People tend to go on these shows for one of three reasons. They want to be famous, they already are famous, or they used to be famous. I decided, based on my age, it would be most believable to go with door number three. I used to be famous, I said. Hearing that, Max softened. Oh, I thought you maybe looked familiar. What were you in? Um, commercials and porn. I really should have left it at commercials. This guy looked like he ate, slept, and breathed porn. Yeah, I've definitely seen you. Yeah, awesome. He high-fived me then. It was too fast to dodge. If I soon developed pink eye, I'd know Max was the culprit. Awesome, I said. But yeah, that David G stuff is crazy. He was missing for days before they even called the police. Fucked up. And everyone knows who did it, but they won't report him. Totally. I waited for him to say something, but he was too busy trying to blow a smoke ring. Who's him? I eventually asked. Ethan! Dude's got anger issues for real. On my tapes, I got legit recordings of him saying he was going to kill David G. That botched Tasha alliance totally messed him up. And everyone knew David G was going to win this thing. Dude was so good at sex. Trust me, I hear all. He smirked, then smashed the butt of his cigarette into the sand with the toe of his flip-flop. You know, Ethan used to live on 7, but he kept getting into fights with Nate once David G went missing. So they moved him up to eight, he continued. Real geniuses running this place, like Ethan can't go down a floor if he wants to beat the shit out of Nate. Right, I said. 
Oh, and that 10-inch rumor is total bullshit, Max chuckled to himself. Hey, what's one of your movies called? I want to check it out. I'm a big supporter of the pornographic arts. I pretended I couldn't hear him, what with the waves and all. He began to shout repeat his question when I said I had to go. I'll keep an eye out for you, he yelled after me as I walked away. For all the creepy vibes, Max did have access to a lot of information. I wondered if he was right about Ethan. Chapter 27 Everyone was on lunch for the next hour, so I figured nobody would miss me if I snuck off to the police department. I wanted concrete information, and I had the sense both Stephanie and John were withholding evidence. John wasn't telling me the full extent of his relationship with David G., and Stephanie's did-you-get-her-text-to-George-Stryker still wasn't sitting right with me. I set out on foot, assuming it was a small enough island. From my phone, it looked like the police station was about three miles away. I lived in New York. I could handle a three-mile walk. As it turned out, I could not handle a three-mile walk. What the map on my phone didn't tell me was that many streets on the island were dead ends, which required one to either double back or practically scale a wall. It was also sweltering outside. The further I walked from the ocean, the stiller the air became. I finally arrived at the police department, wilted like an old carnation. The very kind receptionist asked if I needed to go to the hospital. I said, no, thank you. I asked to speak with Detective Johannes or Detective Sandro, whoever was working that day. The receptionist told me Detective Johannes was on duty, but he was at lunch. She looked at the big clock on the wall. You should be back soon if you'd like to wait. There was a water cooler in the corner of the room with a bunch of small paper envelopes resting on top. I finally figured out these things were cups and disintegrated six of them trying to drink about a gallon of water. I took a seat in a hard plastic chair and picked up a children's magazine about carrots. I read a fascinating article about rabbit food. Apparently, it's not just carrots, it's also arugula. By the time Detective Johannes got back from lunch, I was convinced I should retire from private detective work and open my own rabbit farm. Detective Johannes still had that spectacular mustache. He recognized me from the night David G. was found and quickly ushered me back to his office. Johannes' office was small with dark wooden furniture. The walls, once painted tan, could have benefited from a fresh coat. Toward the ceiling, there were long, windy cracks, probably due to the salty air or the humidity or both. Johannes's desk was piled high with files and papers. This felt like the kind of place where a case could turn cold and fast. I sat across from him in an old wooden chair that creaked whenever I shifted in it. Someone had tried to make it more homey with a dusty blue seat cushion. There were tiny daisies embroidered around its edges. I doubted this was Detective Johannes's touch. He tucked a few loose files into the metal cabinet behind him. So, what can I do for you? It was your apartment, right? Let's see. He picked up a file and began reading. Seventy? You're a cast member on the show, yes? I'm actually working the case, I said. Ah, private detective. What, those Hollywood types don't trust the island's police? He laughed cynically. They wanted it kept quiet, I said. I see. He leaned forward in his chair and twisted his mustache. So you want my help? I nodded. He stared into the middle distance for a moment, then made direct eye contact. 
How about we help each other? I leaned forward too and the old chair whined. Fair, I said. I want this case solved. That TV show is a big source of revenue for the island, and if it goes unsolved, they will probably blame it on some local. Then they'll move production to some other island and all those taxes they pay will go with them. I don't want that. My boss, the mayor, doesn't want that either. What happened to that kid is very unfortunate, but as you can see, I'm a little overwhelmed with my other caseloads at the moment. He gestured to the piles. So how about I tell you what we know, and then you go do some snooping or whatever it is you do, and you come back and tell me what you've learned. Is it a deal? He held out his hand. I shook it. So what do you know? I asked. Let's see. He scanned through the file and began to read aloud. Cause of death was kidney failure. There was a significant amount of ethylene glycol in his system. No fingerprints found on the body. He looked up at me. Looks like you need to find someone who has access to antifreeze. And that narrows it down to just about everybody. He chuckled to himself and tossed the file across the desk. Sorry, it's not much. Enjoy your reading. I caught it and tucked it under my arm. I will, I said. It was disheartening to learn the police didn't know much more than I did, but at least the producers weren't actively colluding against me. I stood up and navigated my way out of the cramped office. I was almost out the door when Johanna stopped me. Luella, something I just remembered. We had a case here with antifreeze once. A woman killed her husband. The thing was, the woman didn't give it to him all at once. It was small amounts over time. Some in his salad dressing one week, some in his drink the next, then some in the steak sauce, some in the gravy. Eventually, the guy falls down dead. That one was tough to solve. How'd you do it? I asked. He chuckled again. She turned herself in. If I were you, I'd look at the wife. This has been chapters 23 through 27 of Murder on Sex Island, read by the author Joe Firestone, and that is me. This podcast is produced by Barry Finkel. This episode was edited by Gabrielle Lewis. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. You'll be able to purchase a physical copy of Murder on Sex Island starting October 17th. I'll be reading chapters 28 through 32 in episode 8, which comes out next week. Will Ethan and Phil be sent home? Will Tasha become the number one suspect? Till next time.